well, last year in the bubble, the Jazz and Nuggets gave us a series uh, that was fun and entertaining, and uh, it was a roller coaster for everyone involved. And our guy, Ron Beck, joins us now on the phone. Ron is a longtime member of the Jazz statistician crew here in the NBA. And Ron texted me earlier this week, Gordon, and said, hey, at some point we got to talk about our experience in the bubble. How many days were you, quote-unquote, stuck in that bubble there, Ron? Okay, so I need to correct you first, Austin. We weren't there to the bitter end. We were there about two weeks short of the bitter end. So we were there for 62 days. Uh, wow. Did you? Uh, how did you survive? Uh, Gordon, it, was, it wasn't easy. But before we get into this, I need to correct a statement that uh, Gordon made Uh-oh. yesterday concerning, <laughs> concerning John Stockton and the so-called or uh, uh, alleged Homer assist he got when he was playing in the home court. <laughs> I knew this was coming. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, for, first of all, the uh, Stockton had 51% of his assists at home, so 49 on the road. But at home, the Jazz shot about 5% better than they did on the road, which led to more opportunities for assists and more opportunities for made baskets. So... <laughs> Sorry, Gordon, but no homer job. <laughs> okay, so I was kind of kidding when I said that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, okay, I'm duly corrected. You, you know what that reminds me of? Uh, the old, uh, the whole uh, poisoned pizza story, where for years and years and years, that pizza, the pizza had been poisoned, according to Michael Jordan. And so finally, last summer, Craig Fight, the guy that delivered the pizza here in the Salt Lake Valley, came on and set the record straight. He's like, I've had enough of all this rumors. I'm going to tell the truth. And so Ron's Ron, coming after thanks you. For, thanks for telling the truth. We, <laughs> we, we, we do appreciate that. Well, let me ask you this. How, what's it like doing your job? Uh, it's difficult. Uh, you, you, you don't, your eyes don't leave the court. I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're tracking everything. I mean, people, people don't understand or don't always know exactly everything we track, but points in the paint, points off turnover, second check points, uh, fast break points. I mean, it's not just who made the basket and how they made it and who changed the score, but it's everything associated with that. And so we do about uh, almost 700 transactions a game. Wow. And uh, it, it used to be that uh, the league would review us if somebody got something really high, you know, if uh, – Carl Malone would have scored 63 points like he did. Then they would have said, let's take a look at that and make sure that everything is, is kosher. Same thing with assists. If Stockton got 20 assists, they would actually review the tape and say, let's make sure that this stack crew didn't give me more assists than he was due. <laughs> Today, New Jersey monitors everything real time. Just like they do the official review, if there's a review of something, and they go to the, to the official review and they talk to somebody in Secaucus, New Jersey, who are watching it on the screen, they do the same thing with us with assists. So I have one of my crew that's a video replay coordinator, Brady Cotton, who his whole job, he has one headset on one ear that's talking to us. His other headset is on the other ear is talking to New Jersey. Hmm. And about 10 to 12 times a game, New Jersey will have us change something that they believe was different than what was recorded. But oftentimes, you know, we're doing it in the heat of the moment. We're not sitting there and rewinding it and watching the play four or five times from eight different camera angles like they are. So we're just trying to get it right as best we can. Brady has the opportunity to do some video replay on our end as well to see what really happened. 
but the stats are never more, more accurate than they are today. When did they start doing that from New Jersey? Has, is it very recently, or has it been a few years? It's been about four or five years. Okay, so back in the, you know, not to drug up this, this subject again, but back in the Stockton heyday, that wasn't happening. No, yeah. no, not at all. In fact, the, what, they, what they did before they went to, to real time is they would have somebody review. So we would keep stats for a game, and then somebody in New Jersey would sit down and watch that exact same game and make sure that we entered the stats correctly. Wow. And so I think I can think of a worse job than, okay, I'm going in and I'm going to watch five games and all I'm going to do is try to track uh, uh, statistics to make sure they're entered right. Now they're done real time. Like I say, they have seven, eight camera angles they can look at. And about ten times a game they'll, they'll say, hey, we think that assist really should have gone to this guy instead of the other guy. You know, and it's interesting. As they started doing that, they also started changing how some of the assists were kept. Um, for example, well, and, and part of it's because of the way the games changed. I mean, back in Stockton and Malone's era, did we ever have any floaters? Did we have any step-back shots? It was pretty much just jump shots, hooks, and that was about it. So now on assists, assists is a, is a basket, the pass that leads directly to a basket. If somebody throws a pass to somebody and they catch it, and then step to the side to avoid the defender. Who who really created that opening to make that shot? Was it the pass, or was it the the guy who stepped to the side to get away from the defender? Well, they believe as long as the guy steps across to the side, the guy who threw the ball is still going to get the the assist. So they changed a little bit how assists are kept, but uh, they're doing it across the league and. I think all it would have done was added more assists to Stockton and, and give Gordon more something else to complain about. <laughs> but uh, it, it's different how they've changed a little bit of the statistics. Ron, we debate all the time about Rudy Gobert's uh, impact and importance and kind of the bugaboo that there's not the one stat, at least, that we can find that really, truly shows how a guy like Rudy Gobert can and does impact the NBA game. In your opinion, what is the best stat to point to for a guy like Rudy Gobert? I think it's it's how he protects the rim, you know, and, and and unfortunately, that doesn't show up in your in your stats a lot because you only shows up if you get a block. It doesn't show up how many times that he actually made time. I mean, you see it all the time as you're watching the game. Some some guard will dribble in there, get ready to do a little photo shot, and all of a sudden Gobert will start coming towards him, and he immediately backs right back out. You know, the same thing used to happen with with Mark Eaton. And I used to watch some of the Jazz games or some of the practices when Eaton played. And when the opposing coaches would come in, they would talk about how impactful Eaton was. Kind of like, if you think you're going to be free in the lane for a shot, you're wrong. Mark's going to come and block it. So don't even plan to take it into the key and try to make that shot because Mark's going to block it. He never got the respect, I don't think, from the league or from the fans. But the assistant, you know, the, the opposing coaches most definitely – had his attention. So, Ron, I got to get your opinion on what Austin and I were talking about earlier, the best jazz teams of all time. On my list, I have the 96-97 jazz second and the 97-98 jazz first. Uh, really, uh, reasonable people can go either way on these two. Or maybe you have a third choice. I don't know. But do you have an opinion on those two teams? No, I listened to your list, and, and I think you were right on. I mean, that, that 98 team, uh, I've said before, I don't think they lost the game uh, here, game six, 
with uh, Jordan still in the basketball and, and going down and hitting the jump shot. Uh, if you recall, uh, after Stockton made his, his three-point shot, they, they called timeout, and, and they came in, and in four seconds, Jordan scored a layup to set the lead to one. It's kind of like four seconds? Seriously, somebody couldn't play defense on him for more than four seconds? But had they have taken you know, even 10, 15 seconds, and then they stole the ball, they would not have had time to, for Jordan to come down and get the type of shot that he did. So I think they really lost that game uh, when they allowed Jordan to get a, a layup within four seconds after Stockton hit his three-pointer. But no, I, I agree completely with your list, uh, Gordon. I think you were right on. This is just a personal curiosity, so I hope uh, people out there listening uh, also find it interesting. Are there stats kept on referees, and is that up to your crew? It's, it's uh, yeah, it's, we've been keeping stats on referees for a long time, and it's nothing that's ever published, but the league reviews it and uh, indicates, you know, they, they can cause some fines, they can change uh, work assignments, they can suspend officials, they can do whatever. But on just about, I would say probably 80% of the stats we keep, we list what official was involved in that particular play. So a travel called tonight will, in the official book, say which official called the travel. For- it will. Yeah. It will. It'll, it'll, it'll identify who called what fouls and where the foul was called at, caught, or called at and what part of the game. So, like I say, 80, 80, 85% of the stats we keep has the official tied to, to that event. So, you can give up names if you want, but if you don't want to, are are there officials that when you see they're involved in a jazz game, you kind of roll your eyes a little bit? You know, we used to uh, when we back in the days when we all got together and ate in the press room together, we'd find out who the uh, officials were going to be, and we could pretty much say whether or not we thought we were going to win that home game or not that night before the game even started. <laughs> there, there was officials who had reputations for. Uh, protecting or uh, helping out the, the superstars. There were officials who were much better to have uh, make the calls at home. There were officials who came in that were more in favor of visiting teams. And so you could almost say, who's the official crew? Oh, man, we're going to lose, you know? So that used to be the case. I don't think this is much anymore. you got too many new officials, and, and they're not seem to be so set in their ways as they used to be. Ron, you didn't ask us to bring this up, uh, but we have talked about it in the past, and I've read a good chunk of it. You've got a book that you've written about all your time covering or working for the Utah Jazz, and the first chapter is It Was a Push-Off, is chapter yeah. one. Uh, tell us about your book. Well, I, 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 I don't promote it. I mean, I, I typically give it away to people that are interested in it now. To me, it was just kind of documenting my my 40 years with, with the Jazz, and uh, yeah, I, I definitely think it was a push-off. I mean, I, I got a in that bo- in the book. I got a still picture of of uh, Jordan's hand on the back of, of Russell's hip, and, and just before he, Russell goes flying out, and Jordan takes a you know a step and makes a shot. So yeah, I, I, from my standpoint, it definitely was a push-off. But my book also states that uh, I, I don't think you ever lose a game on the last second shot. It happened somewhere along earlier in the game that allows you to be in that position to lose the game on that last-second shot. And in this case, it was uh, Jordan scoring with only four seconds. Ron, what's your opinion on the way the game has changed, and uh, uh, specifically all the great shooters and the emphasis on shooting? What do you make of it? I absolutely love it. I mean, I think it's much more fan excitement. Uh, you know, it used to be – and it's, it's funny how the, this, the era has gone, you know. 
in order to win it all before, you needed the, the big man. You needed the, the Will Chamberlain. You needed the Kareem. You needed Willis Reed. You needed that big man that could score down low. And then it kind of moved out where you needed that power forward. Power forward was everything. And then it was more, you know, shooting guards and that sort of thing. And now it's everybody, you know. If you don't have five guys on the floor that can shoot the, the three-pointer, you may not be able to win that night because everything's about the three-pointer. It, it's amazing, you know. Uh, Sloan used to always uh, beat down the idea, I want you to get a shot the closest to the basket if you can. If you can make a layup, you're going to make me a happy man. If you're going to make a 10-foot gun shot, I'll be almost as happy. If you get out about 15, 20 feet and start shooting and miss it, I'm going to be upset. Now you come down on a fast break, there's, there's nobody looking to pass the ball to the middle to get a layup. They're stopping and pulling up the three-point to hit the three-pointer. And everybody can do it. Last thing here, uh, Ron, tonight's game, Jazz and Nuggets. What stat will we be talking about tomorrow that tells the story of tonight's game? I think it's going to be uh, how well Denver's center plays. <laughs> He's uh, good. I, I, just, I just don't think, you know, uh, I just don't think we can stop him. You know, I'm not faulting Rudy. He's, he's just too talented. Uh, he just can uh, can shoot the ball and uh, is deadly with it. Uh, if you if you crowd him too much, he's a great passer. He's a good rebounder. He runs the floor. So to me, how many ever how many stats he fills on the on the stat sheet tonight is going to determine whether or not the Jazz win. Ron, thanks for a few moments. Uh, we'll do it again soon, and you be well. We didn't get well, much on the uh, the uh, bubble, but we can do that another time, perhaps. Yeah, we'll check back in with you and get the uh, nightmares no, of living uh, in the hotel. Let me hear it now. Okay, yeah, tell us what, what, what did, did you do? Yeah, what? Tell us about that. So, just real quickly, we we did we did four, we we didn't keep the stats just for the Jazz. We kept the stats for every team that was down there. Uh, you would just get a stat sheet uh, out first thing uh, spreadsheet first thing. On Monday morning, they would list all your games for the week. Sometimes there was no games in a day. Sometimes there was two games in a day. In 62 days, my crew did 49 games. So to put that in perspective, normally a home season is 41 games spread over 71 or, or over seven months, and we did 49 in 62 days. So it was it was fun to be part of history. Uh, we didn't play as much as I had hoped we would have. I was kind of looking at it being a a vacation to Disney World and doing some stats every once in a while. Instead, I was doing all stats and wishing you were somewhere else besides Disney World. <laughs> so, but anyway, it, it was a real experience. The NBA, when they kind of sent out a survey to who would be interested in coming, and we indicated our interest, they were they jumped all over it. It made me feel really good. It was a real compliment to to my crew that uh, they wanted us there. And I don't know if it was because of the number of years we've done the stats or how accurate they think we do the stats, but I heard from Chris Beresford, who's the senior manager of, of NBA basketball operations. I heard from him daily when I told him we were interested in, and he wanted to know, are you coming, are you coming, are you coming, are you coming? And finally it was like when I said, yeah, we're coming, he says, well, good thing, because I've already started scheduling games for you. <laughs> so it was, it was really nice to, to be uh, feel like you were wanted. Was the food as bad as everyone made it out to be? It was absolutely terrible. <laughs> it's kind of like, how can it be this bad? And the worst thing of the whole experience was is we had to quarantine a week here at home before we flew down there, and then we had to quarantine a week, seven days, in your hotel room without leaving. Once, once you got there, wow. Once you got there. And you're thinking, that can't be that bad. You know, bring some video games. I'll 
I'll, uh, you know, watch some TV, some movies. I'll do something. But you did not leave that room. They had, they had like 20 towels for you, so you didn't have to leave the room or have anybody bring you towels. They delivered your food for you, cold and, and undercooked and terrible. And you were seven days in that room. And then I'll tell you, when we got out of there, it was like getting out of prison. Sounds like Alcatraz, yeah. What, what, yeah. Once, you were, once you were acclimated, what did you do in your downtime? Uh, same sort of thing. I mean, it was, it was the hottest time of year they were having. They originally told us we were going to get uh, be able to golf, bowl, play ping pong, Go swimming, but once the uh, officials and the players got there, all that went out the window. So they got to do that, but we didn't get to do any of that. So it was basically do your games. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't socialize with the other members of the stack crew. I mean, I had three of my guys down there. We couldn't go fraternize in anybody's room because that was off limits. Uh, we had to go, you know, set somewhere outside or whatever and just talk. There wasn't a whole lot to do. So it was, you know, you kind of kept your busy doing other things, and it was almost uh, a delight to be able to have to go do a jazz game because it gave you something to do. One of those things that you're you're glad you have the stories and the experience, but maybe would pass the next time, huh? Uh, you know, I, I, again, I think because it was part of the history and, and, and bringing the, the jazz back, you know, the, the whole NBA back and restarting it, that was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I'd do it again. If I did, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd have to have real assurity that we could do something with our downtime. Well, I will say this. It, it lifted the spirits of a lot of people who were eager to see some real basketball again. So, well, you know, and it, was, it was an interesting uh, thing to have when you got to the playoffs. There really wasn't a home court advantage, you know? I mean, they all played in the same arena. There was no fans. You had your digital fans screaming in the background, <laughs> but there was really no home court advantage. And so, I mean, that's what you play for in the, in the, uh, the whole season is to get that home court advantage have your fans there to make some noise and make you familiar with the, the, the court you're playing on. But everybody was familiar with the court, and nobody had any fans. He's Ron Beck. You can find him on Twitter at Jazz Stats. Ron, thanks for some time. We'll do it again. All right. Take care, guys. Be well.